0: So, Laundry Shoots, kind of a strange title for a sermon. I have a friend who's a philosophy professor at Baylor, her and her husband are remodeling their house, and she had a picture on social media two weeks ago of a laundry shoot. Uh, Some of you may or may not remember laundry shoots from the time we were kids in two-story houses or five-story buildings. You'd put the dirty laundry in and... Magically disappear and gravity takes over, and they go to the bottom of the chute. And what happens? (laughs) Somebody cleans the laundry, somebody cleans the dirty mess we make. Charlotte asked us a few weeks ago in one of her letters, What is our something more? What is our something more? It's a great theme as we move into Lent because Lent asks us just the opposite. Lent asks us, what is our something less? What can we do without? What can we let go of? And is asking us to hold that intention with the vision both ourselves individually and the chapel collectively is what can we do more? So these two readings that I chose for today are one way of struggling with the tension between what do we give up? What do we let go of? And what do we take on? What are our strengths? How do we play to those strengths here in this valley? What are our weaknesses? What can we improve on? What are our losses? What do we fear the most when we lose things? There's a great Irish New Year's blessing a friend of mine always Gives me, he sends it out in a text to a men's group that I've been a part of for forty something years. It says we need to learn how to do some things this year for the first time, and some things this year for the last time. That's a great metaphor for how we approach something new in our lives, and that's what Lent is really calling us to do. My friend who posted the picture of the laundry chute on her on her social media site, she said. Yes, it's just a mere laundry chute. It is so irrational that it brings me so much joy. But sometimes in life, a laundry chute is everything. Because it gives us to fall down into the gravity of grace. You know, gravity is a strange, mysterious phenomenon. It's one of the four forces in the universe along with the weak force the strong force and the electromagnetic force. Gravity seems to determine everything about the way this mysterious universe was wired from the very beginning. And Newton found that out the hard way. He was sitting, you know, as the story goes, sitting under an apple tree, apple falls and bonks him in the head. He said, well, how did, why did that happen? I've always admired people who ask the questions, why? Because it shows a curiosity about the world. Newton struggled with this notion of gravity. What goes up, we say, must come down. The image of a laundry chute is fascinating because it it challenges us to think how the laundry gets to the bottom and what happens to it. When I was playing athletics in in university at Baylor, we had a a washerwoman. That's a southern phrase for the woman who cleans up our messes. (laughs) And I I thought this week as I was thinking about this image of a laundry chute and what happens when gravity is over, how do we get ourselves back up, back in the game, back into the kingdom. Well, we need a (laughs) washerwoman. We need, you know, in the South, it would be a woman of color to look after us and hold us accountable to the mess we can make of our lives. And I remember in the athletic dorm is show you how times are different. We, we were given $5 a week spending money by NCAA rules. That's all you could, were allowed to, to get. And most of us used that $5 a week to have Miss Maddie do our laundry. We'd put it in a sack outside our door and lo and behold two days later she'd bring our laundry back. But she'd always ask us, Mr. Mike, did you go to church Sunday? no, Miss Maddie, I I didn't, and she would, you, was not happy. (laughs) Or you'd say, yes, ma'am, I did, and she'd give you a big old bear hug, and you felt cleansed again, felt whole again. You see, this image of the valley of, of dry bones is about being made whole again. It's about when we're stripped away to our skeletons, the bare bones of our existence, we've fallen, we're stained, We're at the end of our rope. We don't know what to do. And we go into this laundry chute where gravity takes over and takes us to the very bottom, and we think there's no way out. We've all been there, whether it's in our personal lives, our professional lives, our lives with our parents that are getting infirmed and old, our lives with our children who are 14 or 15-year-old rebellious as adolescents. We need a a washerwoman to put us back in the game. Hard work is figuring out how to clean that laundry back up again, right? Even if it's clean, what do we do with our new cells? Well, It's interesting the New Testament answers that over 300 times the New Testament talks about things that we now collectively call the second coming. The second coming I think is one of those historical works where the new testament writers are challenging us to reimagine a future where Christ is present with us in some mysterious and undefinable way. And I think we've we've made the theologic mistake of thinking of the second coming as something down the road, something a thousand years from now or 10,000 like John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace. We call it the second coming, some people call it the final coming. I would say the better term would be the always coming. Not just some mysterious point in the future that we can do what we want to today and count us to being bailed out of jail 10,000 years from now. An awareness of the second coming, of the always coming changes the way we live. It allows us to put Skin and muscle and bone back on our raw, dirty, broken skeletons. Jesus kind of said, he tiptoes around this. He said, I'm going to be back. Well, of course, in 10 years, he wasn't back. In 50 years, when the Gospel of John was written, 75 years, he wasn't back. So people began to say, what's going on here? Jesus said he was coming right back, right? I think to understand the implications of this means that we get drawn into the conversation of how we respond to grace. If grace is waiting for us at the bottom of the laundry chute, what do we do with that? There's a great book I read, I'm gonna quote a little bit from it. My Walker Percy, he was Walker Percy, is a great existentialist Christian writer from the 40s and 50s, he was a physician who got tuberculosis and had to give up medicine. He wrote a series of novels in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Very quirky, interesting, odd novels. But one of his greatest ones was called The Second Coming. There are three or four main characters that I want to share with you. The first is Will. Will was a middle-aged white guy, lost, broken, He had given up his career in banking. He was sick of it. His wife had passed away. And the worst thing in the world is in his golf game, which was very good, he started shanking the ball. So if you watch 10 Cups, you know what it's like when you get the shanks. You're pushing everything to the right. So Will is playing golf, and he's tired of hitting the ball bad, and he goes to the woods on the right to find a ball, and he stumbles across an abandoned old greenhouse in the middle of a golf course in the mountains of North Carolina. And as he's looking for his ball in the greenhouse, he comes across a little waif of a young woman named Allison or Allie. And Allie is a refugee, an escapee from a mental institution. And she's hiding out in this greenhouse. Will and her strike up a very tenuous, hesitant conversation but as they develop this friendship, this young, lost, broken woman and this middle aged, lost man, they stumble across an old priest. In literature, he was called the Holy Fool. The priest who is so crazy, so broken, so damaged, that all he does is point out how silly we are and show us the way home to God. So Allie and Will stumble across this old priest. And this whole novel revolves around this triangulation between the holy fool, the man who is lost, and the woman who is somewhat acting as their path to redemption. And it's, it's a fascinating story, but at the very end, Will is beginning to ask himself, what, is, what are we doing here? Why are we, why are we here? How are we dealing with this brokenness? right Will says in his excitement he rose from the chair he's going around the desk and the the old priest is there and Allie is there he says tell me something father do you believe that Christ will come again and in fact there are signs of his coming in these very times we live in but by now father Weatherby had also risen and Will Barrett stopped the old priest at the door and gazed into his face his bad eyes spun around he wasn't seeing very well The good eye looked at him fearfully. And the priest says, what do you want of me? What do I want of him, said Will? And he suddenly realized that he had gripped the old man's dry, old wrists. The bones were dry like sticks. But for some reason, the old priest didn't move, but looked at him with a new expression. Will thought about Allie and her greenhouse, which of course is the the metaphor for the Garden of Eden, that they find thats their salvation. Her wide gray eyes, her lean muscled arms, her strong quick hands, and his heart leapt with a secret joy. What is it I want, said Will, from her and from him? What, can I, what do I want but must have? Is she a gift and therefore, a sign of a giver? Could it be that the Lord is here, masquerading behind this simple, silly, holy face? Am I crazy to want both, her and God? Not want, but must have and will have. And that's the closing sentence of the book The second coming is here, it's not off in the future. At the bottom of the laundry sheet, grace like gravity had taken them to the bottom. And the greenhouse and the relationships brought them back to new life again. And that's what the story of Ezekiel is all about. It's not just a story of the people of Israel. It's the story of us. How we relate to each other. How we love each other. How we care for each other in our brokenness, and our washing. We need that woman at the bottom of the, gra- of the laundry chute. You know, when you think about artistic images of Jesus that have been controversial over the years, think of the movie The Shack, where God's portrayed as a, as a large black lady with open arms. Um, a lot of people have played with the themes of where is Jesus now? We know where Jesus was historically 2,000 years ago to start this community we call the church. We don't know what that may look like 10,000 years from now. So the question is, where is Jesus now? And I would say we make the mistake of looking up for Jesus when we need to be looking across for Jesus. We need to be looking down for Jesus. That's where we live, with each other. Not some pie-in-the-sky kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down at the end of time. We don't know when that's going to happen. The Gospel writers are clear about that. But they're also equally as clear, when we allow grace to break in, we become transformed. We become like the people of Israel in the Valley of Dry Bones. We're new people. We put on the skin and tendons and muscles of grace and love for each other. And that requires a certain level of openness, of trust, of commitment to change, to be receptive to new things in our life, new miracles of friendship and love that break in. But when we do that, I think we experience, like Will did in that greenhouse, a kind of rebirth, a new beginning where God can take uh, us, the messy creatures that we all are, and do something profoundly simple with each other and that's to hold on to each other in this world that is in need of a witness, a living witness to the way God can transform lives and transform the world and make places like Snowmass Chapel the holy place and the holy people we are called to be. Amen. Lord God we come to you now at the bottom of the laundry chute ready to encounter the mismatches of our lives to make us whole once again. Help us to have the courage to look horizontally rather than upwards, to look down rather than horizontally, and give us the strength to listen to your still voice in the midst of a crazy and sometimes confusing world we live in. In Christ's name, amen.